Greetings, you're listening to podcast number 158 of Blast the Right. I'm your host, Jack Clark. Great to have you on board. Today, in a change of pace, a single subject podcast, trickle-down economics and the unsustainable economic inequality and social ills it produces. Let's get right into it. Your sources today include thinkprogress.org, the New York Times, taxfoundation.org, commondreams.org, CNN, The Wall Street Journal, EqualityTrust.org.uk, and Bloomberg.com. Sometimes escaping from the mouth of a right-winger is an utterance so jaw-dropping that it merits an entire show. Brian Griffiths is a Goldman Sachs international advisor. He was recently discussing Wall Street salaries and bonuses. You've probably heard that. The financial industry is all set to award itself a record $140 billion in total compensation this year. Goldman Sachs, all by its lonesome, will pass out $23 billion in bonuses. Griffiths said, in defense of such numbers, quote, We have to tolerate the inequality as a way to achieve greater prosperity and opportunity for all. Close quote. In case your brain has the same reaction minded the first time I heard that, this doesn't compute, this doesn't compute, let me repeat it. This former advisor to Margaret Thatcher said with a straight face, we have to tolerate the inequality as a way to achieve greater prosperity and opportunity for all. Ah, trickle-down economics, Thatcheronomics, Reaganomics, right-wing economics. Let me become filthy rich. It will be better for you also. Better for everyone. Really? I think not. The Wall Street guys did become filthy rich. Back in 1985, the average Wall Street bonus was a bit less than the average annual salary of a U.S. worker. By 2006, Wall Street bonuses were 14 times greater than the average salary of everyone else and everyone else's annual salaries essentially stagnated over those decades. More recently, from 2000 to 2007, the situation got even worse. The median income of working-age households actually fell almost $2,000. Went backwards. Where's the trickle-down? Thanks, George W. Bush. And there's no relief in sight. Since the 2008 financial crisis, pay cuts outside of the financial industry, quote, are occurring more frequently than at any time since the Great Depression, close quote. Where are you, oh trickle-down effect? The right wing promised us you'd be here. Nothing trickled down. According to Griffiths, we should have the greatest prosperity of all time, since we have just about the greatest economic inequality since the Great Depression. Two overall stats here illustrate where trickle-down economics has really left us. Since 1980, the richest 1% of Americans have nearly tripled their share of the national income pie. They went from about 8.5% when Reagan took office to 
23.5% in 2006. Now, wealth is excess income accumulated over time. So the wealth inequality is far, far worse even than the year-to-year -year income inequality. When I first saw the following statistic, I couldn't believe it, even though the writer was a reliably solid source. Maybe she added a few zeros by accident somewhere? So I went and checked the underlying original data from Forbes magazine and the U.S. Department of Commerce. Yup, the writer, Holly Sklar, was dead-on accurate as always. Get a load of this. The 400 richest American families in 2006 had as much wealth as the entire bottom half of the nation. The 400 richest American families had as much wealth as 57 million American households. Again, I ask you, where, oh where, is Griffith's prosperity for all now that there is such severe economic inequality? I don't want to get into a long discussion about the various theoretical shortcomings of this absurd right-wing construct, trickle-down economics. Just one theoretical point should suffice. Our economy is 70% consumer spending. Someone making $20,000, $30,000, $50,000 will spend virtually all their income. They can't and don't save much. Every penny they get is going to rev up the economy as they contribute to that 70% consumer spending sector. But someone making $20 million, $30 million, $50 million, sure, they're going to spend a lot, but no way are they going to spend all their income or even a majority of it. Most won't go towards that 70% consumer segment. And don't tell me about how they'll invest the money and create jobs. Most of that money will be used, as it always has been, for speculation, hedge funds, foreign stock exchanges, and the like. Ever heard of derivatives and how they almost brought down the world's financial system? See Podcast 149. Who do you think bought all those trillions of dollars of derivatives? Not the average working or middle class guy, I'll guarantee you that. So putting money not in the hands of the super wealthy, but of the working and middle class, that's the way to gin up economic growth and shared prosperity. But let's get beyond theory. Anyone can come up with a theory, or a counter theory. The proof is in the real life results, and the real life results for trickle-down economics are truly disastrous. Quote, Trickle-down theory predicts a positive correlation between inequality and economic growth, the idea being that income disparities strengthen motivation to get ahead. Yet, when researchers track the data within individual countries over time, they find a negative correlation, close quote. For example, after World War II, there was low economic inequality over the next few decades. Yet, we saw extremely high growth rates in most industrial countries. And then economic inequality started increasing. And what happened? Growth rates fell almost by half. As one reporter nicely summed it all up, quote, Again and again, the observed pattern is the opposite of the one predicted by trickle-down theory. Close quote. In other words, the rich end up with a larger and larger share 
of an economic pie that is smaller than it otherwise would have been. Nice! If you're a long-time listener, you know one of my mantras. Whatever a right-winger says, the exact opposite is true. Nowhere more so, as illustrated here, than when money is involved. In a moment, some other disastrous effects of trickle-down economics and economic inequality. Stick around. Now I'm stocking shirts in a Walmart store, just like the ones we made before. Except this one came from Singapore. I guess we can't make it here anymore. Should I hate a people for the shade of their skin or the shape of their eyes or the shape I'm in? Should I hate them for having our jobs today? No, I hate the men sent the jobs away. I can see them all now, they haunt my dreams All lily, white, and squeaky clean They've never known want, they'll never know need The don't stink and their kids won't bleed Their kids won't bleed in the damn little war And we can't make it here anymore Unfortunately for all the non-super wealthy rest of us Slower growth and less opportunity and prosperity are not the only negative results when right-wing trickle-down policies hold sway. A book already out in the United Kingdom will be published next month here in the United States. It's called The Spirit Level, Why Greater Equality Makes Society Stronger. The authors, Richard Wilkinson and Kate Pickett, have a website, equalitytrust.org.uk. What they have found is that economic inequality within a society is the single most powerful determinant of whether that society will have more or less of a host of social ills. No one can summarize their research better than they in their own words. From their website, quote, Great inequality is the scourge of modern societies. We provide the evidence on each of 11 different health and social problems, physical health, mental health, drug abuse, education, imprisonment, obesity, social mobility, trust in community life, violence, teenage births, and child well-being. For all 11 of these health and social problems, outcomes are very substantially worse in more unequal societies. We've checked the relationships wherever possible in two independent test beds internationally among the rich countries and then again among the 50 states of the U.S. In almost every case, we find the same tendency for outcomes to be much worse in more unequal societies. Close quote. As the book's publisher put it, in reference to the United States in particular, quote, almost every modern social problem, ill health, violence, lack of community life, teen pregnancy, mental illness, is more likely to occur in a less equal society. This is why America, by most measures the richest country on earth, has per capita shorter lifespan, more cases of mental illness, more obesity, and more of its citizens in prison than any other developed nation. Close quote. Do you get the picture? And all this would be bad enough if our own tax dollars weren't contributing to our own destruction. How galling is it that socialism for the ultra-rich 
at taxpayer expense, is helping fuel the Wall Street mega-compensation and increasing economic inequality we've been talking about this entire show. We're talking bailouts here. The Wall Streeters are getting money cheaply from the Fed and then loaning it back to governments at higher interest. Or using that cheap money to make huge risky bets with the security of knowing that their companies are too big for the government to let fail. So they feel comfortable betting the house with our money, with our financial backstop. Okay, sometimes right-wingers write in and say, all I do is complain and don't offer solutions. Wrong. I've repeatedly called for the trickle-down economic, right-wing economic policies that got us in our woeful current situation to be reversed and for progressive policies to be implemented. In previous podcasts, I've talked about the need to once again heavily regulate Wall Street to prevent the abuses that led to the financial crisis. I've also advocated in the past that the minimum wage be raised substantially, that the earned income tax credit be increased, and that the income tax rate on the wealthiest tiers be hiked. These would be solutions that would mightily contribute to leveling our Himalayan peaks of economic inequality. Here, let me give you a few steps we could take that would specifically target Wall Street money grabbing. You can use any or all of these to go on the offensive against your friendly local right-winger, challenging them to tell you why these measures shouldn't be taken. First off, how about a windfall profits tax? Even the Wall Street Journal recently ran an op-ed piece supporting this step. Quote, a windfall tax is blunt, arbitrary, and something supporters of free markets usually instinctively avoid. Even so, following news that Goldman Sachs Group has already set aside a $16.7 billion bonus pool for 2009, the case for windfall taxes on banks that pay giant bonuses is becoming unanswerable. This year's bank profits are windfalls in the purest sense. They aren't to do rewards for exceptional skill, but gifts from taxpayers. Many banks are earning huge, risk-free profits, borrowing from central banks at ultra-low interest rates and lending back to governments at much higher rates. If this giant hidden subsidy was being used to support new lending, fair enough. Instead, it looks destined for bankers' pockets. Close quote. Next, add on a financial transactions tax. Ralph Nader wrote a great piece arguing the case for this. A financial transactions tax would be minuscule in each instance, a one-tenth to one-quarter of a percent tax on each financial market transaction. It could be stock trades, currency trades, derivative trades, or some combination of them. Those investing for the medium and long term wouldn't even notice it. But short-term speculators would, having to pay the tax over and over again each time they want to buy and quickly sell, buy and quickly sell. The amounts that could be painlessly and even beneficially raised are humongous. Estimates range from 100 to $500 billion a year. Yes, 100 to $500 billion a year. We actually had such a tax for over 50 years, starting in 1914. Japan, Great Britain, and dozens of other nations currently utilize such a tax. 
Nader wrote a great line. He said this tax would, quote, make the Wall Street crooks and gamblers pay for their own Washington bailout, close quote. How could anyone be opposed to that? Even you right-wingers, personal responsibility is called for, isn't it? Lastly, the international community could impose globally what is called a Tobin tax, T-O-B-I-N. It's also a financial transactions tax imposed on international financial transactions, like currency trading. It's named after Nobel Prize winner James Tobin, who proposed such a measure in 1971. Some argue that its receipts should be used for financial assistance to third world nations. In a moment, we'll expand the frame in a couple of ways to really get inside the right-wing psyche. Stay tuned. Your one-minute voting report. I asked for help, and you guys responded, so we finished October at number six on PodcastAlley.com. Thanks for coming through and keeping Blast the Right in the national top ten. Podcast Alley starts voting anew each month, so if you voted in October, please make sure you vote again this month. If you didn't vote in October, it just takes a few seconds. This month looks to be even tougher than last, so your help is needed. P.S. Their search doesn't work well, so find Blast the Right either on the top 10 list or on the link to top podcasts. I also appreciate your continuing 5-star reviews and ratings over at iTunes. iTunes is probably the main place people go to look for podcasts, and I want to make sure that when they check the News and Politics featured page, Blast the Right is there for them to see. If you haven't done so already, just go to the iTunes Music Store and write a 5-star review or click a 5-star rating for Blast the Right. You only have to do it once. It stays up there forever, countering all the right-wing 1-star sabotage reviews. Thanks. Expanding the frame a bit, Guess what the topic was that Brian Griffith's panel was discussing? It was, what is the place of morality in the marketplace? If this were an email, I'd type in the capital letters R-O-T-F-L-M-A-O. Griffiths urged bankers to increase their contributions to charity, invoking the biblical injunction that, to whom much is given, much is expected there is definitely an important place for charitable giving. It acts as a tourniquet, an emergency ambulance to get the patient through to live another day. But to solve the problems that cause the patient to be in such bad shape that charitable intervention becomes necessary, more systemic intervention is required. Last podcast, I told you about Catholic social doctrine and its concept of structures of sin, which are economic mechanisms that make the rich richer and the poor poorer. I think under the definition of structures of sin in the theological dictionary must be the example of trickle-down economic policies. Grabbing all of society's wealth with one hand and with the other hand, giving a few alms or even many alms 
to those you've stolen from, that's hardly a mode of behavior in accord with Christian morals or the morals of any other true religion. How about we expand the frame in another way? When you get up each day and look in the mirror, you certainly want to avoid having an irrepressible urge to punch yourself in the face. If you thought you were doing something evil, you might be tempted to do just that. So, everyone has the need to be able to justify to themselves their own actions. When Brian Griffiths or any other right-wing ideologue wakes up and looks in the mirror, he needs to like who he sees. Now, he knows he advocates a philosophy whereby a select few amass huge wealth at the expense of the rest of society. So that's why he latches on to an economic theory, and I use that term loosely, an economic theory that says, let me become filthy rich, and don't worry, it will work out better, not just for me, but for you and everyone else. No need to punch myself in the face, I'm really helping everyone else by getting ever richer and richer and richer. This rationalizing fits in perfectly with what John Kenneth Galbraith the noted late economist, once said. It's one of my favorite quotes. He wrote, The modern conservative is engaged in one of man's oldest exercises in moral philosophy, that is, the search for a superior moral justification for selfishness. Close quote. Could there be a better example of this than trickle-down economics? As long as you and I are talking about moral justifications for selfishness, let me briefly mention another right-wing entry in this category. It's the doctrine of social Darwinism. Here's radio talk show host Bill Cunningham. The reason people are poor in America is not because they lack money. It's because poor people in America lack values, character, and the ability to work hard. The inimitable Bill O'Reilly shortly after Hurricane Katrina. Every American kid should be required to watch videotape of the poor in New Orleans and see how they suffered because they couldn't get out of town. And then every teacher should tell the students, if you refuse to learn, if you refuse to work hard, if you become addicted, if you live a gangster life, you will be poor and powerless just like many of those in New Orleans. Yes, social Darwinism teaches that the poor are poor because they're unintelligent, lazy, and immoral. The rich are rich because, of course, they possess the opposite virtues. Allow the rich to become more rich and their virtue will increase. Helping the poor is morally wrong because it will induce them to worsen their bad habits. Almost makes trickle-down economics seem benign, doesn't it? Anyway, Back to trickle-down economics. Increasing economic inequality is its purpose. It's all in service of that prime right-wing directive. Transfer wealth from everyone else to the already rich. This directive applies not just domestically, but internationally among countries as well. That's why the right is so apoplectic about progressive leaders like Hugo Chavez of Venezuela and Evo Morales of Ecuador. Such leaders are working not only to reduce economic injustice within their own borders, but internationally as well. For example, in the form of securing fairer deals with multinationals for their natural resources. What a great sin! 
They want to stop the suffering and dying of the hungry who have no food, the sick who have no medical care. Preventing multinationals from continuing to loot and economically pillage their nations is absolutely necessary to accomplish that. Let me put this $23 billion in bonuses that Brian Griffith's company is awarding itself in perspective. Every year, a little under 9 million children around the world die unnecessarily from hunger and preventable disease. That $23 billion works out to $2,600 per child. That amount is often far more than a year's earnings in those countries. It's far more than enough to save those children's lives. Every child in the world could be saved with a small fraction of just that one Wall Street company's bonuses. These are the kind of disparities that drive me crazy. Listen, especially any right-winger before you write in, the inequality I condemn, or better put, the lesser inequality I seek, is not some arithmetical division into perfectly equal shares for every person. Of course not. That would be an ideologically driven stance. I don't hold to any particular ideology. I consider myself a humanitarian pragmatist. If those at the bottom who are willing to work and live by society's rules are able to earn a decent living and feed their families, get adequate medical care, put their kids through college, have some vacation time, save for retirement, if they have that, then, frankly, I don't care how rich those at the top are. Those 400 richest families, they could have more wealth than everyone else on earth combined. I don't care. But when there's just not enough wealth to go around at any given point in time, and those at the bottom cannot earn enough to gain a decent standard of living, or even to survive, well then, that's where I draw the line. We're at a level of inequality that is morally repugnant, and it must be corrected. All I seek, all we progressives seek, is a lessening of economic inequality sufficient so that those at the bottom are able to live a reasonably decent life, in our country and around the world. How could anyone object to that? Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend about Blast the Right. Vote for Blast the Right at Podcast Alley. And, of course, write a five-star review or click a five-star rating for Blast the Right in the iTunes Music Store. A special request. If anyone has access to the LexisNexis database, please contact me. I need to search for a transcript or two from some Fox News shows. And now a word from another progressive podcaster. What is it about working men and women that drives you Republicans crazy? When does the greed stop? What is the price? Challenge corporate power. Damn, what's wrong with people in this country? Say hell no until these weak-kneed Democrats end this war. I you pigs, you pigs. This first step is a step right off a cliff. The best of the left podcast. He's a liar. He's a thug. He's a punk. One word. Katrina! You lead this country, sir. You claim to defend it. Pathetic. 
You can't claim support for our troops without supporting their mission, Mr. Speaker. God, that is so dishonest on so many levels. All those people who died on 9-11, and you guys want to use 9-11 as an excuse to do everything you want, attack Iraq and Iran, to people that have absolutely nothing to do with 9-11? Don't you dare talk about 9-11, please. This election is our chance to give the American people a reason to believe again. It is time now for Barack Obama. Imagine This American Life meets progressive talk radio. Each week, we choose a political theme and bring you a variety of stories on that theme, only at bestoftheleft.com. Music credits. The break music was We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry, The Schnee Speaks by KG House, combined with the alternate Blast the Right theme by Nice Music, and Not the One Blues by Bernsheet Thornside. We'll close with a little bit of Taking My Country Back by Honky Tonkers for Truth. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found on my music resources page. Links to all the statistics and quotations I use can be found on my data resources page. I'm also now posting transcripts of each show. All of those can be found linked to off the main podcast homepage. You get to the podcast homepage by typing in Blast the Right in Google, and I'm the first result. I love getting your comments. My email is rational at roadrunner.com. As always, I'm still catching up. You can also leave a message for me to play on the podcast. Just dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. Another way to leave a message is on Skype. My Skype name is Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. Now you 